Hello, everyone, and welcome to IPA's Board of Pharmacy What, Why, and How podcast, where we talk about what action the board took at today's meeting, why they took that action, and how it impacts your practice. Uh, I am joined, as always, by Sue Mears from the Board of Pharmacy. Thanks for joining, Sue. You're welcome. Um, I know I say this a lot, and I think I say, I know I say this a lot about the board's agenda a lot, too, but... Um, it was uh, certainly a jam-packed agenda, but um, especially for um, pending rules and, and discussion on implementing legislation, there is a lot to talk about and some exciting things uh, that are in the works from the board too. So I, I won't waste any more time. And I think Sue, if you're ready, we'll just jump into this uh, this list here and absolutely talk about what the board did. So Sue, I want to start with the proposed um, adoption and notice to amend chapter three around pharmacy technicians. And um, for those listening, the board actually issued uh, what would be a request for emergency adoption, Sue, is that the right way to phrase it? Yeah, um, yeah, so the board um, kind of was recognizing that um, you know pharmacy technicians have been involved in immunizations with as it relates to COVID and pediatric vaccines. And that of course, came from federal HHS uh, authority last fall, um, which a lot of pharmacies implemented and and got technicians trained, Um, but that HHS order limited to just COVID vaccines and pediatric immunizations. Um, So looking forward to the upcoming flu pneumonia season, the board was concerned that that would um, caused some significant impacts to pharmacy workflow and overall vaccine effort. If it was disjointed that a technician could only immunize, you know, these certain immunizations, but, you know, they couldn't vaccinate an adult for flu. So uh, the board voted to have basically, it's called the double barrel rulemaking. And so on the one hand, they uh, voted to emergency adopt the rules that would authorize technicians to, um, if they've completed all the required training, um, to immunize, um, inject any immunization that's delegated by the pharmacist. So they wouldn't just be limited to those HHS COVID, um, COVID and pediatric vaccines. So the double barrel um, is something that doesn't happen very often. And um, in order to do the emergency adoption, the board had to get special permission, had to go through the governor's office and get their approval. And then we had to also get approval from um, the Committee of Legislators, the Administrative Rules Review Committee. Um, and so both of those entities um, saw the value and what the board was hoping to do and looking to do. So they gave approval for the board to emergency adopt rules. Um, and so the, the proposed rules are that what is being filed really pretty much mirrors what the HHS training requirements are um, as far as that immunization didactic training, CE, um, and then a CPR certification. So very, very similar to what they've already done through the HHS order. And so uh, the board did vote to file that emergency. So that has been filed. Um, so the, the rule is in place as we sit here, um, has been adopted. Um, and so 
the double barrel, the other half of that process is that this rulemaking will also simultaneously go through the regular rulemaking process. So I'm also going to file a notice of intended action with the same language, go through the normal process of seeking um, and collecting public comment and just the whole normal um, rulemaking process um, that we normally do. And then if, if something changes during the, the, uh, the regular process via public comment, whatever, then that, that language would just override what was emergency adopted and filed. So hopefully that makes sense. That does make sense. And I think it is a great example of exactly how the legislative and regulatory process is supposed to work. So, you know, the, the HHS guidance gets issued, pharmacists train their technicians and begin implementing it, and it works well. So the board adopts a legislative agenda in, in their bill to make sure that it can remain permanent. The bill is passed by the legislature, and then in working through the process, realizing that by flu season, um, these technicians who have been trained may not be able to be utilized by pharmacists. So the board found a way to implement that rulemaking sooner. And then the oversight processes through ARC uh, and the governor's office both saw the value too. And now it's effective. So, you know, for once, for all the criticism that maybe the uh, bureaucratic nature of state government can get sometimes, I think this is a great example of how the system still works well and identifying potential areas that just make sense and <clears throat> our common yeah, sense yeah. and getting it done. So yeah, I think it's a, a great example of uh, how, uh, how the process works sometimes. Yeah. So thanks to the board for, for making that happen. Um, I also, uh, Sue, wanted to talk a little bit about the proposed notices that were on the agenda. Um, so maybe first looking at some of the proposed rulemakings that deal with the implementation of legislation passed uh, in the previous session, both exciting pieces of legislation, House File 514 and Senate File 296. So um, that really involves Chapter 3 and then um, Chapter 8, Chapter 20, Chapter 39. I know uh, Brett at, at the meeting certainly had a, a fun time reading all the titles of these rules because they're long, but Maybe you want to talk a little bit about the rulemaking that implicates some of the legislation passed during session? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So one of the, the notices that the board voted to file um, would implement most of the sections of the board's bill and IPA's bill from this last legislative session. So this particular notice would hit on um, the piece about technician trainees. So the way the law was uh, previously written, tech trainee registration was limited to one year and they either had to be certified or they couldn't be a technician anymore. And so um, the board had recognized that there are uh, sometimes some exceptional circumstances. They don't want it to be a commonplace situation, but certain exceptional circumstances come along where a technician just um, is not able to get that certification done in that year and they want to have that opportunity to extend that renewal one more year. So um, the rulemaking um, puts some of that into place. Um, it gets to um, reporting compounding data for those pharmacies that are compounding human drug products and shipping them to other states. 
Um, it would require reporting to the NADP information sharing network. And that's in anticipation of the board signing the FDA MOU here later this fall. Um, it gets to um, rules about statewide protocols. Of course, IPA's bill um, expanded and added a couple new kinds of statewide protocols to the board's arsenal. And so what the board would like to do is to have all those, the guardrails, the training and education requirements to participate in those protocols. They'd like that language to just be in the protocol. So everything is in one place. Um, and not piecemeal in the rule every time a new statewide protocol comes about that we have to have a rule and that takes six months and so they would just like to have everything more efficient and, and in the protocol so um, part of the rulemaking would kind of get that put into place um, and then of course if we're moving out some of that language about statewide protocols into the protocol itself, some of that language needed to be retained as far as pharmacist administration of vaccines or medications um, outside of those if they're administering based on a patient specific prescription. Um, so that language is specifically being retained and then updating language about pilot research projects because that um, section actually was given a code section instead of just in these various Iowa acts. Um, so I think that covers everything for this notice. Yeah, I, I think uh, an important piece there in, in taking some of those um, specific sections for statewide protocols off the books is that shortening of the time. Obviously with statewide protocols, you do wanna make sure that there's that consultation from the Department of Public Health and, and public input still, but um, yeah, the rulemaking process sometimes can go on and um, like you said, take up to six months. So the goal in, in continuing to add statewide protocols when new services are capable of being provided by pharmacists, I think that that goes a long way in aiding that flexibility that was intended from that chapter. So certainly um, a positive um, development, I would say. And I think the, uh, pharmacy pilot project section two is something that could really be a benefit to pharmacies or pharmacists across the state who may have an innovative idea and, and want to come to the board. So again, I, you know, I, a lot of, uh, a lot of work in, in implementing those pieces of legislation from the session, certainly from you, Sue, and tasked with uh, getting all these rules on the books, but uh, really exciting, I think, to see these sort of coming to fruition within rules. So the next one I want to talk about in um, sort of breaking away from all of the legislative implementation from the most recent session is the proposed notice of intended action for chapter six, chapter eight, and chapter 10. Uh, and I won't read the whole description there, but it, it deals with some of the required minimum security and monitoring system requirements that uh, pharmacies uh, are tasked with implementing. Do you want to talk a little bit about that proposed notice? Yeah, yep, certainly. Um, so again, this was also another notice of intended action. So this will get uh, published and it'll be open for public comment um, like other notices do. Um, and so this deals really with pharmacy security and accountability of controlled substances. And um, while the general public may not totally um, see, but the board 
has had to deal with a, a significant number of diversion, loss, and theft of controlled substances over the last several years. And they've really um, noted that there are some significant gaps in security and accountability. And so they feel like a little bit more strict um, processes need to be in place in order to maintain accountability of controlled substances. So they're proposing these changes to specifically provide a little bit more um, detail in what security and monitoring systems should be in place for pharmacies, um, requiring a controlled um, perpetual inventory for all schedules of controlled substances for pharmacies, not just D2s, and then requiring an exact count or measure of every um, schedule and not allowing an estimate anymore on the annual inventory counts. Um, and then also um, language in here would allow a pharmacist under pretty specific conditions to delegate dispensing um, a new or change prescription that otherwise would require patient counseling um, to go ahead and dispense that to the patient if the pharmacist is out of the pharmacy on a break. I know uh, some of the board members expressed interest. They felt like there would likely be significant public uh, comment, or I guess how you phrase it, interest from pharmacists in, in the rules. So was this one of the rules that was requested to be sent out almost in advance, or am I getting those mixed up, Sue? No, because this will go out for public comment. So Yeah, it'll, nope, it's not a pre-comment. They, right. they will, we will schedule a public hearing about yeah. okay that's right and that I, is yeah. what and I think the technician one too they want um they want a hearing so yeah. besides being able to submit written comments people um could if they prefer instead to come to the an in-person hearing gotcha so, well that's helpful to know and um yeah for for the listeners if you're not aware there is a on every public um, comment period or every proposed rule, there is a um, a section that allows, I think it's 25, 25 folks request public comment or public hearing. Yep. It's in place, but the board felt like these were important enough to just go ahead and schedule one. So yeah, um, I think that's a always positive to seek public input. And if you're interested, certainly watch for communications on when those get scheduled. Um, to provide input outside of just the written comment period, like Sue said. Well, so I think the last proposed rule to, to talk on briefly here is the proposed notice on chapter eight, uh, dealing with the designation of an interim pharmacist in charge uh, while the pick or pharmacist in charge is uh, absent. Is that, pretty yeah. much, does that pretty much cover it? Yeah, that's it, no. Um, so, I mean, I, this won't really be much of a surprise to, to pharmacists that this happens um, pretty frequently where the permanent pick um, is out on a medical leave or is gone for an extended period of time. Um, I think probably most often it's a maternity leave, right? Um, so certainly not uncommon. And in those situations, we don't, we haven't historically really had a very good system um, for identifying a, an interim, I guess, a pharmacist in charge who would take kind of take an accountability, but um, 
kind of be that contact point for the pharmacy. Right. And we don't want to officially change the license because the permanent pick will come back. Um, and so they're not vacating the position. So we don't want to make it the whole new application and changing the pharmacist in charge, but we want to have um, a mechanism that the pharmacy could identify somebody who is taking over those duties for that period of time in the absence of the permanent pick, but expecting that permanent pick to return. And so what it would provide is just, we would create a form that the pharmacy could submit and provide us notice that, um, you know, whoever is going to be the interim pick and what dates it will apply for if they conducted a controlled substance inventory um, and, you know, whatever other information we have on that form, but it would not require an application and a fee and it would just be a notice type situation. Gotcha. Well, that, that sounds like a common sense proposal to me. So uh, certainly understand the need there. And um, again, that, that will be going out for public comment now. Uh, so look for that as well, if you're interested in submitting uh, public comments on that rule. I know I said that we were moving away from the legislative discussion, but there are a couple more items from the agenda yesterday that I, I misspoke, I guess. I do want to cover at least the uh, draft rules relating to collaborative practice and the new draft statewide protocols. So, so not really anything official yet as far as notices go um, for, the, for the draft collaborative practice rules, but the board was interested in seeking public comment in advance of the um, issuance of those, is that correct? Yeah, yep. So what the board looked at yesterday was just kind of an initial draft of rules, um, just to see what other thoughts and comments they had um, before it was officially filed for notice. And so they um, had expressed their preference at this point would just be to send, have these um, th this draft out available, send it out and have it available on the website. Um, for a period of time so that people can go ahead and just give us whatever feedback they have about those rules and we can try to address any concerns or suggestions before we even get to the, the notice period. And then um, hopefully we'll be able to get it back in front of the board for something more official for a vote um, at their next meeting in yeah. September. Well, that, yep. yeah, that was gonna be my next question. And if you expected likely that those could come up then in August. And That'd our, be my hope. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, and certainly I think too collecting that feedback beforehand always seems yeah. to make the public comment period a little bit easier. So um, certainly watch for any communications from IPA or the board if you're interested in providing feedback on um, those collaborative draft collaborative practice rules. Um, Sue, similar question too with the draft protocols, um, and those don't have to necessarily go through the rulemaking process like we discussed earlier, but um, I know the board was interested in additional public feedback on those. So do you anticipate once um, Department of Public Health has had an opportunity to review the draft protocols for test and treat for strep and flu, public comment from, well, interested parties, not through mm -hmm. the official public comment, but in seeking input from stakeholders, would that likely come back around then at the board's next meeting then too? That's my hope as well. Yep, gotcha. get those. I, it'd be nice to see them in place before this fall season. Yeah, yeah, certainly that would be fantastic. And 
um, still, uh, yeah, still moving pretty fast, even from, you know, from passing legislation and to getting it in place by the end of August is yeah. a victory, I think. So uh, definitely a benefit there. And certainly uh, if you're interested in providing test and treat services, we're kind of lucky to be ahead of the curve here uh, in Iowa and getting legislation like that passed. Uh, be on the lookout for updates relating to the implementation of those protocols uh, and also on communications on just uh, sort of best practices for ensuring that you uh, are getting your training in place and understand the processes. So it, it's exciting. I think there's definitely going to be a learning curve, but um, maybe maybe by September. I, don't, I won't, won't speak for, I won't look into the future, but potentially maybe by September there could be effective protocols in place. So that's certainly great to hear. Well, Sue, unless there's anything else, that's, I think that's about all I had on my list today. Uh, always uh, thank you for all the work you do and in uh, putting all of these rules together. I know there's a lot of behind the scene, behind the scenes work that folks don't see, uh, but it's, it's much appreciated and uh, lots of positive things happening. And so, as always, kudos to, to you and the board and board staff for, for staying on top of these things and working closely with pharmacies and, and stakeholders across the state, because I, I don't think we'd be able to talk about all these, these victories if it wasn't, wasn't for all the, all the nitty gritty work behind the scenes. So thank you. Well, and, and thank you to everyone else for, for tuning in today. Uh, next board meeting will be is it at the end of August, Sue? Well, yeah, I think that it's currently scheduled for August 31st and September 1st. Gotcha. So it could be potentially consolidated into the first. Potentially, day, yeah. Yeah, we yeah. try to usually get it down to one day if there's not too much yeah. on the agenda. Um, well, and I guess I should mention, too, that the, the Board of Pharmacy meeting was in person. Yeah. Which is great to see uh, a lot of new faces on the board in person. I think everyone was happy to be back together. Uh, and uh, it was definitely a positive to see. So I, I suppose we had one more thing to mention, and that's that uh, everyone uh, was back around the U-shaped uh, table yesterday uh, at, the, at the board offices. So uh, definitely a, a positive, positive yeah. change from the Zoom meetings. Yeah, it was fantastic. Great. Well, thanks again, Sue, and thank you to everyone for listening. As always, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out uh, to myself or Sue. We're always happy to help. Uh, otherwise, we will uh, be coming to you again, uh, likely at the beginning of September. Uh, so see you then, and thanks again. <laughs>